want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Kings, the 19th chapter. This morning, we're going to continue this series we've been talking about, GPS. This morning, I want to talk to you about what you do when life gets off track. People oftentimes say this. They say, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. By the way, the Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't change the fact that it's probably true, isn't it? That the road to hell is paved with good intentions. See, we, we perceive ourselves by what we intend to do. Everyone else knows us by what we actually do. Let me say that again because I want you to grasp that. That's an important thing for you to recognize this morning. We perceive ourselves by what we intend to do. Everyone else understands us by what we actually do. Well, everybody except probably our mom. True? Right? Turn on the evening news. Somebody commits a crime. Somebody's engaged in a, in a, in a, in a horrific incident. And they interview the mother. And what does the mother say every time? That's just not like my son. That's just not like my daughter. He has such a good... Right? Ma'am, your son just held up a liquor store. He doesn't have a good heart. You know how we know that? Because Jesus said this. He said in, in, in Matthew chapter 12, he said that... that Good things come out of a good heart. Bad things come out of a bad heart. See, a good tree will produce good fruit. It's not an issue of intentions. It's a matter of of actions. And it's very easy for us to get off track. I guarantee you, that inmate that sits on death row in Rayford this morning when he was asked in kindergarten, what do you want to be when you grow up? Billy, what do you want to be? I want to be a firefighter. Susie, what do you want to be? I want to be a nurse. Johnny, what do you want to be? I want to be an IT professional. Uh, Johnny, he, he was the sharp one. Percy, what do you want to be? I want to be a career criminal. That wasn't, that wasn't the path. That, that wasn't the intention. Sir, you're, you're stuck in the web of this addictive issue of pornography. You didn't set out to be in that spot. It was, it was one casual look. Ma'am, you're here and, and you battle bitterness because of a, a marriage that went bad. It, it, was, it was not what you wanted. And in fact, it wasn't what either of you wanted. When, when you stood at that altar and you said, I do. And till death do us part. It was genuinely what was in your heart. And yet, 
something happened that got you off course. We see it in the lives of individuals. We see it in families. We see it in churches. A a church never intends to be in financial bondage. A a church never intends to to struggle and, 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 and lose a sizable portion of its membership. A a church never sets out to say, okay, we're going to lose focus and and get get caught up in this program instead of making Jesus the center of everything that we do. So the church as a body gets off track. A family gets off track. and An individual gets off track. And, And here's what I know. It happens to all of us at some level or another. And here's the reason why, because we're not perfect. And and we have all of these distractions and we have all these issues and, and we have our own imperfections. And so what we intend to do, a few years ago, We were traveling through rural Illinois. On our way to, to Alton, Illinois, where we had served as a youth pastor, and uh, going to visit some friends before I spoke at a camp. I'd been down this road before. I knew where I was going. And I... I had this plan. We were driving along, and man, you'd have been proud of me because we were making great time. We were. We were, we were 30, 40 minutes ahead of schedule. We were, we were dr- driving along. Everything was going great. I was watching the gas gauge, 112 miles to empty, 86 miles to empty, 43 miles to empty. Jody says this, Ed, are you going to stop to get gas? Nope. I've got an idea. I've got this. Right? So we get off the interstate. There's a gas station there. And Jody asked me, you're going to stop to get gas? No, it's it's raining a little bit. I I think I'm going to get gas in the next town. In Gillespie. Get to Gillespie, it's it's raining a little bit harder. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait. I'll, I'll get gas in the next town. It's a small little town, Shipman. There's one gas station. Jody knows Shipman. It's the one place. My wife has got one speeding ticket in her life, it was in, and it was in Shipman. And so she now has two bad memories of Shipman. The little device on the dash that tells you miles to empty it no longer has a number there. It just has a dash. We get to Shipman, where the gas station used to be. Small town. Very small town. Blink and you miss it. The only reason people know where Shipman is is because of its well-known speed trap. Again, reference Jody. 
what we're experiencing as far as precipitation can only be described as in the days of Noah. I now do not have enough gas to make it to the next town. I do not have enough gas to go back. I am stuck. So I go into this former gas station. Now this kind of seedy-looking auto repair place. And walk in, and there's a man in there. He's got devil tattoos on both arms. This is going to go well. Where'd the gas station move to? It didn't move. It went out of business. My wife and children are in the car. This is not an exaggeration. Large tree limbs are being blown across the road. The rain is now horizontal because the winds are so bad. And they're out there in the van. Right? I'm in this old former gas station talking to Mr. Devil Tattoos. I said, I'm in trouble. I said, you don't happen to have any gas around here, do you? And he goes, no, we've pretty much siphoned everything out of all the cars. Not kidding. I said, oh, my goodness. And, and he, he said this to me. He goes, you know what? I, I think there's some gas in the lawnmower. I will siphon the gas out of the lawnmower. And I'm, I'm standing there going, how... How in the world did I get into this spot that I have some guy sucking gas through a garden hose while my family's out in the middle of a monsoon? This is not what I intended. It is not how I envision this day to go. You ever been in that place where you say, this is not what I intended. This is, this is not how I thought this day would go. In 1 Kings, the 19th chapter, it tells us this, that Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you'd use it to be a lamp to our feet, a light into our path. Help us, O oh God, to hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. It doesn't make sense. It's tough to reconcile, especially when you know what has just taken place. Elijah has been consistently used by God to communicate what God wanted to do to protect his people. And in the process, what he's done is he has consistently thwarted the efforts of this bad king named Ahab. And his rather vindictive and crazy wife, Jezebel. Elijah, after quite a long time, Ahab trying to catch him, Elijah knowing because God spoke to him about what he was going to do, and Ahab's efforts being thwarted, Elijah says, I want to meet with Ahab. And he meets with Ahab and he says, listen, you have been misleading God's people long enough. 
You've got all these false prophets around you. Here's what I want. I want there to be a showdown today. I'm one prophet. You've got 450 false prophets. Let's meet on Mount Carmel and let's see whose God really is genuine. That's bold, friends. One against 450. To present yourself to a a powerful man like a king that you know wants to kill you. And look at him and in essence go, bring it. Ahab comes with his 450 prophets there on Mount Carmel. Elijah said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Two sacrifices. 450 prophets of Baal, you're responsible for this one. One prophet of Jehovah, the Most High God, responsible for this one. I tell you what, seeing how there's 450 of you and there's one of me, I'll let you go first. Let's see, you pray over your sacrifice, let's see which God shows up. So the prophets of Baal start to pray. Nothing happens. They continue to pray. Nothing happens. Elijah begins to taunt them. Maybe your God's sleeping. Maybe you should shout louder. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe, And, and he lets them go on and on and finally goes, okay, guys, nothing's going to happen. Just stop. Just stop. 450 prophets of Baal, you're embarrassing yourself at this point. Just stop. Let me, let me, let me demonstrate for you. Let me show you. But, but before I start, here's what I want. We're, we're expecting fire from heaven to come down and consume this sacrifice. So, so let's do this, just, just to make it interesting. Elijah says, bring some water and pour it on the sacrifice. Yeah, that's not enough. Bring more water, pour it on the sacrifice. That's not enough. Bring more water, so much so that the sacrifice, sacrifice, this animal that's put on this altar, it's dripping with water. There's a trench around the sacrifice. It's filled with water to the point of overflowing. And he goes, okay, watch this. God, we know that you are the one true God. Demonstrate that in power. Fire from heaven falls, consumes the sacrifice, consumes all the water. Elijah says this. Now you know this is the one true God. Now you know these people are false prophets. What does the word of God say that we do to false prophets? They are to be put to death. Put all these guys to death. And 450 prophets are put to death. Huge victory. Overwhelming victory. Elijah should be coming off of Mount Carmel going, I'm the man. Look at this amazing thing that God has accomplished through my ministry. I'm going to be written up in charisma. They're going to want to interview me on TBN. I guarantee you I'm going to be on the 700 Club. And I won't even have to ask for an offering. He's in, right? King Ahab has freaked out. He goes home. He says to Jezebel, Jezebel, it did not go well today. Can you imagine that? Okay. He gets back to Jezebel. So how'd it go? Mm, not good. Not good. What do you mean? Well, here's what happened. I brought the 450 prophets of Baal. Elijah. I thought 451. I thought we were in pretty good shape. Um, the, the, the 450 prophets, honey, they're gone. Gone? Yeah, they're gone. What happened? Well, they prayed. Nothing happened. Elijah prayed. Sacrifice? Sacrifice gone. And, and then he said, 
God says that if you're a false prophet, they're supposed to be put to death, and so they put them all to death. Jezebel's mad. So she sends word through a messenger to Elijah. Elijah, you put those prophets of Baal to death. Understand this, that before the day is over, what you did to them, I'm going to do to you. Okay, now let's look at a little bit of perspective. For a protracted amount of time before this incident on Mount Carmel, Ahab and Jezebel were trying to catch Elijah. Could they? No. Why? Because God consistently thwarted their plans because God was with Elijah. And yet, in the midst of this, this history of God taking care of Elijah, this monumental moment there at Mount Carmel, where God demonstrates himself in dramatic, miraculous power, why would the words of one bitter, crazy woman send Elijah into a tailspin? Well, if you're here and you've ever gone into a tailspin because of the words of one bitter, crazy woman, you understand. But it did. It, it for whatever reason, the words of Jezebel caused Elijah to freak out. And he started running and ran and ran and ran. Over 40 days, he ran into the wilderness. Here's what I want to point out to you. Are you ready? Elijah was not some horrible, awful sinner. In fact, here's what James chapter 5 says, this. It says that Elijah was a man just like us. Elijah was just like you, just like me. But he was used powerfully by God. Potentially, just like you. As Elijah made himself available to God, God did these wonderful things through him, just as God wants to do through you. But Elijah was a man just like us. And he was a man who was tender towards the things of God. It, it reminds me, in fact, it, it correlates with what Paul says in Romans. Elijah, this, this man that is used by God, that, that speaks prophetically, that, that calls out false, false prophets and deals with them and, and, and calls on God and God consumes sacrifices, and in a, but in a weak moment he gets off track. Paul said this, he said, the things that I want to do, I, I don't do. And the things I, I don't want to do, I do. I can relate to that. Right? I can. And I'm sure that you can as well. As Christians, in this Christianese culture that we that we're saturated in, if you live life in the church, we're usually not encouraged to acknowledge that. We're usually not encouraged to admit that. It's a tough thing. And, and if, 
if this vulnerability is seen by an outsider, I don't know if you've ever had this statement happen to you, and you call yourself a Christian. Really? You did that and you call yourself a Christian. You use that word and you call yourself a Christian. Really, you're going to tailgate that person because they switch lanes in front of you and you call yourself a Christian. You know that that person didn't charge you properly for the stuff that you're walking out of the store with and you're going to walk out anyway and you call yourself a Christian. Right? Well, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. That's why the bumper sticker says, God is my co-pilot, not my pilot. Here's what I find. I find this. That even, even those who are very tender towards God find moments where something happens and you get off track. If you're here today and, man, everything's rolling along great, praise God for that. God's brought you here this morning for prevention. But I also know this, that all across this room today, there are people here, you're a good person, you're a godly person. But you're, you're off track. That, that habit, it, it's become bigger than what you ever intended. That relationship that, that has gone south, that has become the relationship, that's become the issue that's, I, that, that's, really, that's really fueling your personality and, and your thought life. And a, a soured relationship has become a bigger influencer in your life than your vertical relationship, the relationship between you and God. And so you're living in bitterness, or you're living in anxiety, or you're living in fear, or you're living in guilt. And if we were to talk to your mom right now, here's what your mom would say. But he's got a good heart. But she's got a good heart. And God brought you here this morning to say this to you. That while you have a good heart. You have to deal not just with intentions, but you have to address the issue of actions. And so when we get off track, we have to respond. And Elijah, I think Elijah is a great, great example. And we see in the, in the story of Elijah, we see, we see how God, in his grace and in his provision and in his wisdom and in his sovereignty, that God has the ability, even 
even though we might be significantly derailed, significantly off course, that God has the ability to bring correction and to bring direction and to bring sustainability. And it's a message that we, we have to connect with. Because anytime you're off course, what sin is, is sin is a term that means missing the mark. Sin doesn't just mean doing bad. Sin is missing the mark. Let me illustrate for you. If I were to announce this morning that I was resigning my position here, and I was going to go and, and work in a feeding program in Guatemala, that would be an honorable thing to do. It, would you agree that working at a feeding program in Guatemala is not a bad thing? Okay, I'm not asking you to applaud that you want me to leave. I'm just saying that it's, would you agree that that's not a bad thing? And yet, because that's not God's will for me, even though, doing, even though I would be doing a good thing, I wouldn't be doing the thing that God has for me. And even though I'd be doing a good thing, it's sin. Does that make sense? You follow me? And so, anytime we get off track, that's an, it's, it's a sin issue. And here's what you'll find. You'll find this. That God in His grace, and because He wants the best for you, God will always look to bring, not punishment, but bring correction that gets you back on track. And it's so important that you do that because understand this. In fact, the, the life of Samson is a great example of this. Sin will always pull you further away. It'll always pull you further away. As I said, the, 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 the drug addict never said, I want to be addicted to meth. They said, hey, you know what? I, I wonder what this is like. Or, okay, okay, quit, 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 quit pressuring me. I'll just, I'll try it. Just drifted away, drifted away, drifted away. Sin will always take you further away. It'll always keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will always cost you more than you're willing to pay. Always. And Samson, Samson, a, a, a young man with an incredible destiny, finding himself somehow incredibly blessed by God, an incredible opportunity, and he finds himself blind, shackled, enslaved. Why? It's the consequences of unbridled sin. So we have to deal with each one of us, whether we're here this morning as a skeptic, a seeker, or you're here this morning and you perceive yourself to be a saint, a Christ follower. We all have to deal with the sin issue in our life, and we all have it, you and me included. And we have these moments where we get off track Elijah is a good man, but he got off track. So, so what do we do in those moments? Well, the first thing is this. Trust that God will not abandon you, okay? His promise, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Trust that God will sustain you. 
And here's, here's what we find. In 1 Kings 19, we find this. We find that even though Elijah is running crazy, that God still, still sustains him, right? In, in, in verse number 5, it says, Then he lay down, then Elijah lay down under the tree, and he fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. God will continue to provide for you even when you're off track. Why? Because the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Here's what I want to caution you in. Do not make the assumption that just because you're continuing to receive provision and blessing from God, that somehow that your sin is not an issue. Let me say that again. Just because God is continuing to provide, just because you're continuing to experience His presence, just because you're continuing to experience on some levels His blessing, do not make the mistaken assumption that that means that your sin is not a big deal. Because sin always short-circuits what God ultimately wants to do in your life. But in the midst of that, because of who God is, because of the character of God, you can trust that He will always be there and He will always sustain you. So in those moments when you know that life is off track, don't buy into the satanic lie that, well, I'm here all by myself. It's just me. I've, I've disappointed God. He's not going to help me now. See, that's what the, the enemy would love for you to believe, that somehow you've disqualified yourself from a God connection. And, and that's not the way that God works. The second It's important in that moment that you that you tune in to God's voice. And I, I use that term very specifically, that you tune in to God's voice. There are so many people who will attempt to speak into your life. And there are so many things out there that will try to influence you and steer you. And it's vitally important that you tune into God's voice. And, and I believe this. I believe there's something significant about the way, the way that God talked to Elijah in that moment. Right? Elijah, when he's, when he, when he's out there and he's, and he's running, he, he finally, he, he, he stops running long enough to, to position himself to where God can talk to him, right? And, and, and in that, God says this in verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. You would think in, in, in that power that, oh, this is it. God's going to speak. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. The ground shook. God in his power, God in his majesty. God's going to say something. 
But God was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. Oh, the demonstration of the, of the cleansing work of God. And yet, God was not in the fire. And after the fire came a whisper. Came a whisper. A whisper. Why? Why in that moment would God talk in a whisper? If I shout to you, you can hear me from a distance. But if I whisper, it's important for you to come close. And in that moment, it was so important that Elijah not experience the magnificence of God but that he understood the intimacy and the closeness of God. And so often we want God to do something in grandeur. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, come near. Come near. God, do a miraculous thing to fix this mess I'm in. And God says, come near. God, Heal this affliction in my body. Come near. God, deliver me from this issue. Come near. God, smite this person that has hurt me in this relationship. And God says, come near. Because the most important thing, the most important thing is that relationship with him. Because when that relationship is right, everything else works. When that relationship isn't right, nothing else works. And in that moment, when you're off track, here's what God is saying. He's saying, tune into my voice. And the way to tune into his voice is to come near. And then lastly, have the courage have the courage to what God tells you to do, the encouragement that he gives you, the challenge that he brings to you, the directive that he speaks over you. That God, I'm, I'm going to turn in the direction that you guide. I'm going to live out trusting in you with all my heart. I'm, I'm going to live out seeking you first. I, I'm going to I'm going to recognize that this is the moment where you're, where you're turning me around. Isn't it interesting, in Elijah's situation, that, that God sent him back the very path that he ran away in, right? 
I love the fact that Elijah was honest with God. I love the fact that he doesn't try to sell God. I love the fact that he doesn't try to rationalize. He just pours his heart out to God. God, I've been very zealous for you. And, and God, I've, I've given it all and I'm, I'm worn out. I don't know if you know this, God, but I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. I might as well just die. 1 Kings 19.15, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go back the way you came. That's a hard path. (laughs) Go back the way you came. God, how about this? How about if I go this direction, go back the way you came? God, what about, no, go back the way you came. There's something to be said for in that moment going, okay, God, here's where I'm at. I've got this broken relationship. Here's what you have to do. You have to speak to that. I'm not speaking to that person. God, I'll I'll choke that person, but I'm not speaking to them. I want you to invoke a blessing. I'm not praying a blessing over them, God. I'll curse them. Go back the way you came. Trust. Trust that God will get you there. Big mistake we make when we get when we get off track, is we think, I'm just going to keep plowing, I'm just going to keep plowing, I'm going to keep plowing. I, I, eventually, maybe I'll get back on track. No, you don't. You just get deeper and deeper and deeper stuck, just deeper and deeper and deeper in that rut. And before you know it, you find yourself in a desperate situation. And it doesn't just influence you. It influences those around you. I'm in a former gas station watching a Mr. Devil Tattoo suck gasoline through a hose. My family's sitting out in a minivan seriously in harm's way. Thankfully, God protected them, but they had no business being out in that storm. And we, had, we would not have been in that place had I not gotten us off track. You know what's interesting about that story? It wasn't just Jody saying, hey, you should stop and get gas. Holy Spirit prompted me several times. You should stop and get gas. I've got it. You should stop and get gas. I know the gas station I'm stopping at. You should stop and get gas. No, 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 no. Trust me. I've got a plan. There's a way that seems right to man, but it ends in death. I don't know if you've ever explained to God that you've got a better idea than him. How's that working out for you? 
God brought you here today to say to you, it's time to turn back to Him. Yes, you've got a good heart. But your testimony is not about your heart. It's about what you do. I believe it's not just a message for you as an individual. I believe it's a prophetic message for the church. Calvary's got a good heart. This church family has a good heart. But the influence that we have for the 1.5 million unchurched people in Orlando is pretty small. We, we, we want to we do more. We, we want to have impact. Our, our heart's in the right place. Life is busy, and we've got we've got all these activities here going on, and we've got all this stuff. But when we step back and we think about why the church was created in the first place. wasn't to be a place where we could hide. Those who sacrificed in the early days, it wasn't their desire that the church should be a social club. It was that it have an impact on its world. We get off track. And you say to yourself in in those quiet moments when you're by yourself, I I never intended it to be like this. I never intended to be at this place in my life. You're not the only one. In fact, everyone you see in this room is off track at one time or another. And if you're at that spot today, there's a pretty good chance that in some area of our life, that every one of us are there with you. But God says this, I will sustain you. If you'll draw close to me, I'll listen to you. Don't try to sell me. Don't make up rationalizations and stories. Honestly, let's talk it out. And as I as I speak to you, God says, I want to challenge you to turn in the direction that I call you to. My experience has been this, that a good part of the time, the direction that God calls me to, it's not the one that I would have chosen. 
And here's the reason why. I'm one of those guys, I'm going to choose the easy path. Went to the doctor on Thursday. I had hurt my shoulder. And uh, I was concerned that they were going to tell me that I needed surgery. The doctor said this. He says, if you're going to hurt your shoulder, yours is the best way. He goes, you've not torn anything. You've not. He goes, what you've got is you've got an impingement. So it's created some bursitis. I thought, seriously, I'm 50 years old and I'm falling apart. I've got bursitis now. And, uh, and he said, no, no, no. He says, you could, be, you could be 12 and have bursitis. He goes, that's not, our, that's not old age. He goes, you've got other issues going on that's old age, but that's not it. And uh, he just said that to pick on me. And, uh, and I, so I punched him. No, I didn't. And, uh, but he, he said, he said you've got, you've got, you can do two things. Number one is this. With this situation, you can just let it go and it will heal over time. Or what I can do is I can give you a shot and it'll be, it'll be good by Monday. And I said, what's the negative to the shot? Well, you have to have a shot. The shoulder's been hurting me, like keeping me awake at night for several weeks. But I sat in that doctor's office and I was like, a shot. I don't know if I want to do a shot. Oh, even now, even talking about it, I'm a little bit queasy. It's a, it's a momentary prick with a pen that will give me relief in a couple of days, or what I can do is I can go through weeks of my shoulder hurting. My initial decision, I think I'll just wait. That, that was a decision I'd come with. The decision, I, 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 what I had decided. I said, can I hurt it worse? No, you can't hurt it worse. It just, so like if I do something, he goes, it's, it's like I, it's, I, I, I've got a friend coming into town. Can I play golf? Yeah, it's just going to be painful. And you probably won't be able to play well, but you'll be able to function. Okay. Then I asked him, I said, what would you do? And he said, Seriously? I said, yes. He looks at me and goes, I would get the shot. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Poke me. Okay. By the way, seriously, uh, taking multiple ibuprofen. Last Sunday, when I went back to my office, I took five ibuprofen because of how bad my shoulder was hurting. Okay. Today, see this right here? Okay. You know what? That's because I was willing to deal with the pain in the moment rather than having pain for the duration. And God is speaking to you right now as the great physician, and he's saying this. You've got this relationship issue in your life. You've got this habit issue in your life. You've got this situation issue in your life. And it's time for you to deal with it and understand what I'm going to tell you to do and making that relationship right and walking away from this habit in confessing this sin. It's going to be painful in the moment. But you can have a moment of discomfort or you can continue to walk in that chronic issue. Doctor on Thursday didn't force me. He didn't come running at me with a needle. God's not going to force you this morning. But he says this, I, I give you the choice today. I'm here to help you get back on track. 
Will you let him do that? Let's stand together.